All right, welcome in to the live stream. We're back, going live once again to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. I have one special guest right now. The other one is on the way. He has left Alec Box Stadium, so he's probably fighting a little bit of traffic. But let me first introduce my buddy, my teammate, the winner of the 1996 National Championship game and the starter in the 1997 National Championship game, my guy Patrick Coogan. Coog, what's up, brother? Thank you for joining the podcast, man. Good move. Finally, happy to be a part of this. And man, what you've been doing has been great. And uh, I'm so happy to to join you guys and talk about the Tigers, man. It's a it's something special that's happening this year. And uh, I'm ready to help talk about it today. No doubt. It's uh, and this is a tight one, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that sucker lasted forever. Obviously, they had some unfortunate incidents in the Sunday game with some injuries and whatnot. And then just a lot of, uh, I think, people holding their breath at the end. And um Obviously, you're a busy guy, busy schedule, so happy to finally have you on. We will be joined by, at some point, Matthew Musso, and y'all know Musso. Um, Coogan has joined Musso on a couple of his podcasts this year, but Musso's on 104.5 ESPN as he helps out Matt Moscona, and then he fills in for Moscona when he's out. But Musso also does the Musso at the Box podcast, which is released almost daily, and Musso does a great job breaking down baseball. So um, he'll be joining us, but Coog, just a – a 3,000-foot view on the weekend as a whole as LSU gets their second sweep in a row coming off the sweep in Oxford as they put, in, put away a um, pesky – I don't even think pesky does Alabama justice. They're just – they're a good team. They're a good you know, team, Al- yeah. Yeah, and uh, what, what do you think about the weekend as a whole, you know, when you when you take a step back? Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a, a coin toss there, right, because um, – you, anytime you get a sweep is a good weekend, right? But there there were a lot of things that, that led you to have some concerns, um, and we'll get into that in a little while. But all in all, you know, you sweep an SEC team, whether it's home or on the road, uh, and you increase your, your lead in the uh, in the Western Division. That that's uh, that's pause for you know to to have you know, just have some relevance and understand and awareness that you did sweep and you've increased your lead over the weekend yeah no doubt and i know um i'm sure you feel the same way but we were kind of brought up at lsu 20 and 10 right you always want to try to win two out of three home or away you never want to get swept if you can sweep that's great and um you know like you said arkansas gets swept and they sweep again this weekend you know south carolina is trying not to get swept at home as we're talking right now i don't know what kentucky i mean excuse me vanderbilt ended up doing but like you said anytime you can gain some ground and when you look at the schedule, you got Auburn coming up, you have Mississippi State coming up who can hit, they can't pitch, and then you have Georgia who's who's a good team, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, what? I guess let's talk about – let's start off with today's game, all right? Obviously that one just ended. LSU wins 13-11. to 11. Man, it's, it's a nail-biter. And before we get into, you know, just I guess some people's specific performance, just the ability for these guys to come back. And they, uh, you know, get it done at home, a seesaw game. What do you think about the Tigers' performance today, you know, just kind of in a nutshell before we dive into specific players' performance? Yeah, so anytime you go into a Sunday SEC game and w- with a taxed bullpen, right, and that's <laughs> – look, I've never seen a, a bullpen tax more in one day than what they did yesterday. And then you you compound that with what happened on Friday. Um, they were, they were going to have some struggles if they don't get out of, you know – you know, four, five, six innings with the starter. And, of course, that's what happened uh, with Christian Little, which is starting to become a little bit of an issue with the LSU starting pitcher. You know, Chris, if you go back and you look at the amount of innings that the starters pitched this weekend, they averaged four innings per ballgame, right? They threw threw 12 starter innings this weekend, which isn't going to cut it very long, right? Like, you've got to have – schemes go at least six which he did right he went six but then you get two and two thirds and two and a third on saturday and sunday which is really gonna you know lead to some issues in the bullpen it means guys have to pitch twice if not three times in an inning um you know the coaching staff's got to piece it together and pick out okay can this guy extend a little bit more than an inning or 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 is he a lefty righty situational guy all with the mindset of completing the nine innings, right? While you're still competing and trying to win the game. The good news yeah. for LSU is that they've got that offense, right? And they're able to out slug teams, which kind of puts a band aid and a mask on 
the bullpen not or, or the pitching staff as a whole let's be honest um you know not living up to what we thought they might be at this point in the season now mm-hmm. does that mean they won't be able to do it going forward no i don't think so i think there's some bright lights in on, on the staff um they, they've just got to change a little bit of mindset and how they're attacking the strike zone and how they're attacking each situation in an effort to extend outings for these guys and put less of a tax on that bullpen that's a great segue so and that's um obviously i do not know wes johnson right and the way he calls pitches is the way he calls pitches and we are not privy to the scouting report or how they plan to attack people and all the analytics because they got a ton of it now right they know everybody's hot zone and whatnot but um let's get back to christian little so he goes three and a third today two hits three runs three earn five walks but five k's and i would love to get your take on him because when i see christian little pitch it's almost he pitches backwards a little bit in the sense that he really relies heavily on that cutter and that changeup. but the dude still throws 93 to 95 and it feels like i don't know if it's by design or he shakes off pitches but they really lose sight of that fastball like it's almost like the longer the outing goes, the less and less you see of the fastball. You know what? What have you seen from Little, and and do you feel the same way I do, or do you or you do you disagree on that point? Just in terms of no, uh, a hundred percent agree. Like he needs to stay with that fastball. It's almost like you look at these guys these days, and you see the the trap man and the Rapsodo, and you know just the the gun score on on the ESPN. Uh, broadcasts, and you're like, my gosh, these guys are throwing 95, 96. Just yeah. throw a fastball and get them out. Like, let them get themselves out, right? Like, and you've got really good breaking stuff. Oh, by the way, but you know the heater is the best pitch in baseball, right? And so, yeah. th- the fact that they get away from that and they get so deep in counts, and and we can discuss this more with other guys, mm-hmm. but it starts to accumulate that pitch count, and that's when your bullpen starts getting depleted because you're having to go to them so early because your starter is throwing 75 pitches in three and a third innings, right? And yeah. so you you feel like you're 2-2 or 3-2 every, every at-bat while you're pitching um, when you're not getting any early outs with your fastball. And I think that that's, you know, they're missing the middle of the zone. And I know, I know like, you don't really want to throw for the middle of the zone, but there are, there are times when you've got really good stuff and you pitch the contact, and so that that limits your 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 pitch count, and it allows you to extend outings and shorten that bullpen window. I mean, that's a great point. And obviously, I watch so I watch the game with Jackson, my son, and and I tell him a lot of times like when push comes to shove, as you just mentioned, just throw it down the middle. You're still throwing 94, right? Sometimes Bryce Collins and his pitch calling, right? He, he's known for throwing six or seven curveballs, and it worked. In game two, no, uh, game one, as he struck out Shelton, but today he throws like six or seven curveballs. And the first two are in the dirt, then he throws curveball, curveball, and they still haven't seen 94 yet, right? They're, right. St- they're used to they're seeing 74 benders and benders, and I'm like, just throw it down the middle, and they're probably not going to know it hit them. But to your point, I totally agree, and I think that's an issue, and I really want to touch on that point as we get back to game one since we're starting with game three right now. But in terms of the pin, it was just another turnstile day. Ackenhausen, who's coming off injury, and I really think Nate's going to be big down the stretch. He struggled today, ending in two-thirds. You steal an inning with Blake Money, but then he comes out, and one time Jay Johnson doesn't go matchups. He leaves Money in to face Jarvis, and he pays for that as he gives up a double. But let's touch on Cooper. You know, I thought he threw great, and uh, as my son pointed out, he still threw great. I'm writing down comments about Cooper, and he gives up the two-run home run to Seidel. <laughs> but um, to me – and I want to, I want your take on Cooper, but from what I saw to him was the 2020, 2022 Raleigh Cooper, aggressive in the zone, a really good breaking ball. And I think we've seen that in flashes and I thought he turned the corner a couple of weeks ago, but he still just still doesn't feel like he's there. What did you see from uh, the big lefty today? Well, I, th- I thought that he looked like he did last year, right? It looked like yeah. a different guy and he was very aggressive in the zone. Of course, he had the the good slider going, um, and when he gets that going, he he's pretty tough to handle. Um, but it, but it's almost like a microcosm of of the entire staff in, in that they're off their fastball. They're they're I hate to use the word afraid, but they're hesitant to throw their fastball to get to get outs. Right? They want to yeah. set up that breaking pitch, um, and, and so that that's almost permeated through the entire pitching staff. 
And so I think you're seeing that over and over again. I was, you know, with one of our old teammates, Casey Coons, he was texting me during the game and he's like, man, why don't we throw strikes as a pitching staff? And as soon, <laughs> the funny thing is, as soon as he said that, Alabama started doing it and walked like five in the inning. And I said, see, the other guys do it too. Um, but man, it, it used to get drilled in our heads. Get ahead with your fastball, get ahead with your fastball, put them away with your good breaking stuff. Um, and so when you get two and oh in account all the time, and then now you're worried about getting the fastball hit because they know it's coming at yeah. two one, three oh, three one. Um, you know, then then you get a little nervous about throwing it in the zone. So I think they've just got to kind of go back to the basics like they were doing early on, um, and get to a point where they're attacking the strike zone and they're saying, here comes the express, go ahead and hit it, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, I think uh, I think our second guest has arrived now. Here we go, Moose. What's up, my man? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing a hell of a lot better than I'm not sitting in traffic anymore. I'll tell you that. Goodness gracious. Whew. No, man. No, no, no. Coog- yeah, Coog and I have uh, picked up the slack for you. I told everybody you were leaving the ballpark and um, just join us when you could. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining, brother. I told everybody where they could find all your stuff at. Obviously, his Twitter handle's right here. And I'll make sure I'll mention now that he's on air, y'all catch the Musso at the Box podcast. But Moose, we were just talking about we started with game three. I know usually we go back to Friday, but since it just ended, it's fresh on everybody's mind. You know, we kind of broke down. Cook did a great job talking about Christian Little's outing. And then we kind of moved really just fast forward to Riley Cooper and how he looked today. Obviously, you were at the box. Maybe give us your, you know, uh, dissection of the, of the pitching today with regards to Little his outing and then Cooper, I thought he looked great. Even though he gives up the home run, he still looked, and it's tough. I know when you're at the game, you can't tell, but he was on the corners and his breaking ball was really good at the knees today. You know, what did you think about those two guys since you were in the stadium? Well, I'll start with Cooper. Um, So what I've been saying with him is I've kind of been comparing it to the resurgence we saw from Bryce Collins, different guys, obviously, but Bryce Collins earlier in the year, but he wasn't good. I mean, that's just, there's really no other way to put it, but he started to figure it out, strung some outings together. And now you feel like you can count on him again. You saw that last year from him. So you knew it was in there. Same thing with Riley Cooper. You today, what you saw today, you saw last year from him against Tennessee in game three, when Hurd couldn't make it out, they brought Cooper and he kind of stabilized the game. They just left him in a little too long, but he chewed up a lot of innings and gave you a shot. You've seen it. Last year, you know he can do that. You know he can do what he did today. He just needs to string those outings together. So that's what I'm looking for from him. String those outings together now. So can you build off of it like Bryce Collins did earlier in the season and once again become somebody that they can count on? Because here's the thing, guys. They're going to keep running him out there. He leads the team in appearances. That's not going to change. He So right. he has to get better. He has to string it together. I thought he pounded the zone today. That was different. I don't. Forgive me, I don't have a box score in front of me. I don't think he walked anybody. If he did, it was one. It might have been the none. guy who came around to score. None? Okay, none. None, zero. Walks had really hurt him. I thought he made a, a bad pitch to, uh, to Seidel. Kid hit it to center field. Okay, big deal. He had a four-run lead. Great. Um, what I would have liked to have seen them do is go after Pinkney in that spot because that was probably the one opportunity all weekend you had. If he hits a home run, who cares? You're still up one. Go, you, they, they toyed with him, put him on, and brought the tie and run to the plate. I didn't love that. Well, no, that's that's the part. No, no, they did. Well, they kind of toyed with That's when Jones dropped the fly ball. The pop they did, ball. and it came back and got him. I, I know, but, yeah. I mean, man, yeah. that's the one opportunity he had to really just tap the guy all weekend because yeah. his run was meaningless. Um, no, right. Christian right, right. Little, Christian Little, I thought pitched well, and then it just got away from him. I mean, the way he limited the damage in the first inning was elite, and that had been a problem yeah. for him kind of throughout the season. Yeah, the beginning would, the beginning would kill him. Uh, uh, Breathe a little easier when they ruled Morgan dropped it on the transfer, but you know they took advantage of that break. And I'll be honest, I didn't see it. I had thought he caught it and turned to watch the runner at third base to see him tag. And then so, kind of grown from the crowd. I, I think what happened, and Coog, you, Coog, you were at home watching. I think, I don't know, Moose, if they explained it to you. I think what happened, though, they called Tamez passed up maybe Williamson. So they ruled him out. Oh. Okay. So, yeah, because Williamson, whoever was on first, it, it might have been Williamson. I think it was Williamson. 
went back to tag and Tamez passed him up because he thought, you know, Morgan was going right. to catch it. Right. And so when he passed him up, I think, cause I saw Ronnie go back. Is that right? Coog? Is that what happened? Yeah. That's the old, that's the old Wade Simino play to move. <laughs> you can't pass the guy. <laughs> no, no. You got to retouch second base. You got to retouch. Go yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so move. So rants and them shut. Cause I was with you, right? I thought this is going to yeah. be a disaster, a disaster inning. But I thought what happened was, so it ended up being what and what, cause you're going to get, even if Morgan catches, you're right. still going to give up a run. He gave up a run anyway. He gets out of it. But rants and them went back on the broadcast and uh, hats off to the umpires for paying attention. Right. Yeah. And so that's sure. what happened. That, that's what happened. But uh, yeah, getting back to little. So uh, yeah, he escaped. So, that, he obviously. started to settle in. I, it, it reminded me a lot of last week. I'm like, okay, he had the Rocky first last week against Ole Miss. Seven and got you five in the third. Looked like it was going to happen again. Um, I mean, man, he, he I kind of heard Cougar talking about it when I came on, the, the way they favor breaking stuff. And I mean, he has been the chief, I don't want to say chief offender, but you know what I mean? Of that all the way since fall ball. I mean, he, he pitches off his breaking stuff so much that if he doesn't have it, it's hard to find the zone. And there just wasn't enough strikes late in the outing, five walks. I think you hit a guy at, you're not going to get deep. Uh, it was, it was disappointing to see both him and Floyd follow up the outing they had at, in Oxford with, with what they did this weekend. So that's the drawing board there and see if you can put together a solid outing from those two against Auburn. Yeah. Moose and Coogan had actually touched on that. He, he talked, we talked about how little still throws low to mid nineties. And a lot of times it yeah. feels like he just loses whether by design or uh, that's the plan going in, but it seems like that's his MO. He just loses sight of his fastball and there's so many cutters and so many changeups to where, even if he gets ahead with him, right, Coog, it's like he bounces one, he bounces one, he misses, and now it's three two, and he'll still yeah. he'll still throw it again for a strike. Right. But it's it's you know it's uh, whether he starts o two or two o, yeah. he still ends up three two, and mm-hmm. and that drives your pitch count up, and so that's that's causing some issues um, across the board. Yeah, but you know, in terms of the hitters in game three, look, LSU comes back again. Uh, we'll get into the other two games in a second. They were down seven to three. They score six in the fifth, two in the seventh, two in the eighth. LSU hits four home runs on the day. Cruz, Thompson, Jones, and Kling. Kling, welcome back to the lineup as he yeah. he hits a bomb out there. LSU scored, and Moose, I know you're just running back. Don't worry, I got all the stats for you, buddy. I got you covered. Appreciate that. They scored, yeah, 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 we got you. Coop, Coop's even got some. He's everyone broke some out already. Look, they scored 33 runs in three games. And Moose, I listened to your podcast. Uh, before the series, and on mine too. They're, Alabama was the second best pitching staff heading into this weekend in the SEC. So, Coog, just obviously you're a pitcher, and wh- you know, what do you think about this lineup and the fact that they're never out of it, right? They're down continually. It feels back, and I've I put this out on Twitter. Like, I I've never doubted their ability, but sometimes, bro, you just can't keep coming back. Like, and right. and they continue to do it, and when they score. 33 runs against the second best pitching staff in the SEC. I mean, what does that say about these guys? You know, it, it says a lot like, because uh, I, I'm like you, there, there were a couple of times this weekend specifically, you look at things and you're like, Oh boy, we got some issues here. This is going to be trouble to, to, to try to pull it out. And then they pull Travinsky off the bench and he hits a, you know, he hits a clutch bomb. Um, and then you get Paxton today who extends the lead which ends up being, you know, probably the game clincher because of what happened in the ninth. Um, they just, th- th- there's no, there's no um, DOs to move, right? There's no designated outs in this lineup, right? I mean, you, you've got Malazzo right now batting 350 plus right now. He, he had a big at bat late in the game to drive. We're going to get to those guys. Yeah, extended the inning, drove in the run um, to extend the lead there, I believe, in the, the bottom of the eighth. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I have no business wanting to pitch to that 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 lineup, right? I mean, forget about Cruz and White in the middle. Um, I mean, the, the, the guy that you fear probably the least right now is Gavin Dugas just because he's, he's just having a little bit of a rough time. But I don't want to face that. I mean, that guy's like Jason Williams, you know? I mean, like – he puts the bat on the ball most of the time. Um, he scares you because you can't strike him out. He's going to foul you off, and he's going to extend that bats, and he's going to put it in play most of the time. And so that that does a lot to an opposition's pitching staff, right? That that instills fear when you're see, even if guys aren't getting hit, 
if they're taking tough swings on you and extending at bats and making you you go eight nine pitches in a single at bat, um, you know after the course of a ball game, let alone a, a three game series, that has a lot of effect you know on the outcome, especially when you get to the ninth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning of a Sunday series when you're trying to get a sweep or you're trying to win the second game uh, out of three to just win a series. And so the fact that they can do this on a consistent basis. Uh, is very impressive. It also picks up a pitching staff who's not doing very well right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, uh, yeah, it's always good to know that even if you give it up a little bit as a pitcher, that their ability to come back is probably going to save you more often than I'm, not. I'm guilty of that, and I'm very <laughs> proud to have had good offenses behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're Moose. We've talked about it. I know you've talked about it, but just. You know, you saw Jones move down to the nine hole yesterday. But just the depth of, of this lineup, Kling comes off the bench. I was telling my son before he got on the air, if Kling comes back healthy and Javen Coleman, we'll get into him in a second. I want to talk about him in game two. But if you get a couple guys healthy, they're already scary. So, you know, what was your feeling at the box, Moose? They're down seven to three. It doesn't look great. You're like, we have an opportunity to sweep. But all of a sudden they come roaring back. They start winning the free base war. They start working walks, a couple of singles, and all of a sudden they take the lead. You know, what did you think about that? And, you know, how was the box at that point? I mean, the box was – excuse me. First, I mean, the box was great for three days. I mean, it, last night when they brought Alton Davis into that game, I mean, it was rocking. That was a hell of a – and look, he's going to have much better days. That kid's awesome. He's a dude. He's a but dude. that was a hell of a spot for a true freshman to come in and – I, I look, I said it. I said it before the season, the series. I'm glad they had this one at home. If they had to go to Tuscaloosa, they probably don't get away with two out of three in this one. They, they just, they probably don't. If everything's even and it's on the road, they're in trouble. The box was a factor this weekend. So from that standpoint, it was great. Um, maybe I was still living off yesterday, but even when they were down four, I'm like, okay, they, they came back from five yesterday. They, they've got a shot. Bama's got. They've got Furtado left, and they've got probes. Other than that, you've seen their best, and you've hit their best. They're going to make their run, and they made it a little differently today. They instead worked a bunch of counts, were very patient, drew a lot of walks in the fifth inning. But, I mean, you had maybe maybe one batted bat out of 12 in that fifth inning. Yeah, you only got three, four hits, but everyone just – you go back and look at the, the play-by-play – I bet you the majority of those walks were in full counts because they just worked mm -hmm. it to that point. They were very disciplined. And how how many times have we heard, I know you two have heard it, this team strikes out too much. Well, today they didn't. Like, today they right. were very disciplined, and it made it really hard on the, the bottom of Alabama's bullpen. Well, and the thing, and, too, I'm sorry, how was it? you hit their best. You hit Davis. You hit quick. You hit probes. You hit for tough. You hit the best they had to offer. Well, and you remember two months ago when the, the narrative about this team was they couldn't hit left-handed pitching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now, now it doesn't seem to matter. So, Yeah, and Musa, I'm looking at that inning. So in the fifth, and we'll, we'll kind of end it here on, on, the, on the game from today, but in the fifth they scored six. So in the fifth it goes E5. So Malazzo leads it off with E5. Dugas gets hit. Uh, Morgan Walk, Cruz single, Tank single. And I was like, man – like they didn't get that big double or that single down the line that scores two and then you, but Beloso works an 0-2 walk a fabulous at bat I think against Furtado the lefty you know he got up to 97 he goes 0-2 yeah 0-2 and Beloso locks in JT gets a walk Jones hits a sacrifice fly then a walk a single I mean the inning just come goes on and on and on it's just the the play discipline by these guys is is just amazing so all right, let's move on to game two. And look, we got to talk about it. Uh, rehash your memory. So LSU wins that win in 12-8 um, to eight fashion, come from behind fashion again. And Moose, Cook and I are going to have to rely a little bit more on you for this one because I caught like the first two innings and the last three as I was at a function. Coog, you were at – what, you were at – you had a function too, right, as, as I recall? Yeah, I was in a wedding. All right, so Moose – Ty Floyd. Obviously, we're not here to bash Ty Floyd. We love Ty Floyd, but we got to talk about Ty Floyd. Just a, nobody's here to bash him, obviously. So on the day, Floyd goes two and two thirds, six hits, six runs, six earned, four walks, two Ks. And I want to throw this out. I did. I did the numbers for y'all. Okay. Let me find my numbers here. Ty Floyd, 
seven SEC games started. <clears throat> his average game started, so his average line score is – this is rough math, right? Four and two-thirds, four hits, four runs, four earned. His last three out of four outings, he has more walks than Ks. So I know Jay is going to keep running him out there. So for people to say you got to pull him, he's not going to pull him, right? Ty Floyd needs to be part of – the starting pitching staff. But Musa, I'll throw it to you, then I'll throw it to Coog. You know, what do we make of Ty Floyd? It's just, it's just um, we know he was great at Ole Miss, right? Eight and a third, he was fabulous. But is that average line score, four and two-thirds, four hits, four runs, three earned in SEC play, do you think that's – I mean, is that good enough? Are you okay with that? Are you worried about that? Um, That's interesting numbers. Look, if Ty Floyd's getting you into the fifth inning on average after Skeens gives you six and they've worked out a really nice little one-two, they try to go use two pitchers, Skeens, Herring, get the double on Friday night. If you're working it that way with this offense, yes, that, that is enough. It's not always going to be pretty. I look at the Arkansas game. He was awesome. Got you into the seventh yep. inning. I look at Tennessee where he outlasted a future first-rounder in Chase Burns. Got the win in that game. He, he was awesome. I didn't think he was really particularly bad against Kentucky. It started bad, but he extended and got you deeper into the in the game. Got you – I think he actually threw four and two-thirds that night. Um, he definitely got you into the fifth inning. Ole Miss was fantastic. It's the ones in between that. Yesterday, um, South Carolina, the walks have just been the problem for him. Now, look, I'll let you guys kind of talk about this a little bit more, but what I see with him is we know what Ty Floyd's best pitch is. It's his fastball. That's been his best pitch since he was a freshman, and it's a really good fastball, especially at the top of the zone. Got a lot of movement, a lot of carry on it. It plays. But when he doesn't have that, the secondary stuff is not good enough to back it up. He is one of the guys on this team that still does pitch off his fastball. And last night, it looked very much like, okay, a tie Floyd outing. He struggled in the first, a lot of pitches, but got out of it. Relatively easy second. Relatively easy beginning of the third. The problem is lost the strike zone with two outs. Nobody on two outs. And he couldn't get out of the third inning. That that just can't that, that just can't happen. More balls than strikes is you're never gonna have success doing that. So is the four and two thirds four earned good enough for me with this offense? Yes, I, I I think it is. And I think the fact that he's still six and zero oh, kind of proves that they've always dug him out of the hole but you just need more consistency and for me it has to start with the fastball that that is his best pitch it always will be his best pitch and if he does not have it it's a long night for him okay well okay so that's an interesting point because i think a little bit differently like in terms of he has to start with the fastball coog what, what do you think about Floyd just in general? You've seen him pitch a bunch. I know you missed the other night. You know, it was kind of just a regular Ty Floyd outing. I almost think – I know it's his best pitch, Moose. Just hear me out. And, Coog, let me know. You can crush me if you think this is a terrible take. I almost think he pitches too much off his fastball. Now, I've seen the scrimmages. You were there, Moose. And his, his stuff – he does have breaking stuff, right? He added a slider this year. Yeah. He has a changeup. He has a curveball. But I feel like he doesn't flash that enough to where if I'm an opposing hitter, if I'm Auburn, I'm going to say, don't even consider another pitch when you face Ty Floyd. All we're going to do is sit 94, 95 the whole time, no matter what, right? No matter what. Coog, I mean, is that a bad take? Or, or And just kind of circle back to, you know, just Ty Floyd in terms of, of what you've seen from him um, this year, even though you missed uh, last night. Yeah, no, I, I think that both of you make really solid points. The only thing I'll push back on Moose is – saying that that's good enough. Okay, just based on your rough math move, that's a 9 ERA in SEC, right? So your offense is going to have to score at least 10 to win, okay? And you're getting four-point-something innings, which means you're taxing your bullpen as well. I, I think there's a little bit something more to it because I, I, I noticed something when I went back and watched um, – the game last night when I saw Floyd give up the home run early, he looked defeated when he gave up that home run as if he couldn't believe that the ball went out of the ballpark, even though the ball, I mean, the wind is blowing, you know, 20 miles out, out to right field. And it was almost like he was ready to make that move 
to build on the uh, the outing from Ole Miss, and then he gives up that that first home run, and he couldn't believe it. And then all those bad thoughts start creeping in and start mm-hmm. coming to the forefront where you try to push them to the back once you have that good outing and you're going to try to build on it like you had versus Ole Miss. And I think that was the problem. So I think their, their pitching mental mindset is a little bit off right now where they're not really pitching to their strengths, right? And, and it may not as apply as much to Floyd because he does rely so much on his fastball. I do think his fastball is good enough because with his RPMs and it, it, he's got the lift to it a little bit and it, it rides on guys. So it's a, it's a lot different uh, of a, of a view for a hitter than the typical fastball that's 94 to 96. Um, so I, I, I think they've got to get mentally stronger on the mound and throw to attack the zone and pitch more to contact rather than starting counts two and zero and three and one and then trying to battle so much uh, to get back in the in, in the count and give that give the bullpen some breath, breathing room, right? Like, I think it's just yeah. too much right now. Strike yeah. one doesn't happen enough with this group. No, that's, that's a great point. And even and – even, um, and I, feel, I felt like Todd Floyd kind of has been a victim of a small zone sometimes, but you saw it Ole Miss. I, from my vantage point, he actually had a bigger zone, a la 90s zone Coog, and he was able to take advantage of that. He was painting the outside corner. And Moose, I do not disagree that his fastball is the best pitch. It's just to me, I feel like even if he would flip a breaking ball in there and it misses, so now you're 1-0, at least they know that he has that pitch. And we've seen him throw dirty changeups, and they know, okay, he has that pitch. I just wonder if Wes Johnson's like, you know what, he doesn't have those pitches today, and his fastball is still plenty good enough. So we're just going to roll with that and let the chips fall where they may. So Moose, you're going to comment? Well, no, I yeah, pitch backwards. I mean, yeah. I I hear you. I, I I'm always I'm never opposed to that. My thing with my maybe I, what I more meant was he's had great consistency with the fastball as of late, to where it's not even work to it's not even working to pitch off of it. He has to have right. the consistency to do that. If he doesn't have that, I don't. While the secondary stuff has improved, I don't think it's I don't think it's to the level of like a Christian Littles where he has it, he can dominate a lineup with it. He still has yeah. to have the fastball. And when he hasn't had it, particularly up in the zone, it's, it just makes for a very long, a long outing for him. Yeah. And the number and two, well, uh, I'm sorry, the, the number 42 no. for Alabama, the, the lefty who gave up the Homer last night. Yeah. And then the lefty today, my gosh, those guys are going to be studs. <laughs> you're, you're not going to want to see them in Tuscaloosa next year. I can promise you Hell that. No, you know, all, 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 and uh, I know Moose talked about it on his podcast, and I mentioned it too. But Alton Davis Coog, the uh, the six four, the kid that Travinsky got, he hadn't given up a run in SEC play, and he's a freshman. He's just a tall drink of water right now, and he's you know ninety five, yeah. ninety six, ninety four. I mean, he's. I heard people say that. And Moose, you maybe even said on your podcast that they talk about he has the best stuff on that yeah, staff, like period. For sure. Like, like as and a he, freshman, and he's and he's very raw. You can see he he oh, probably wow. hasn't pitched a ton, ton, but uh, man, they're going to be good going forward. To so look out for yeah, those and, guys, no doubt. And and that's why I was worried about them, you know, uh, this weekend, just because they're a veteran lineup. Those dudes have been through the wars in terms of their, you know, the hitters that they returned, and you saw that. But getting back to game two. So uh, where the bullpen struggled a little bit today, in game two, you saw the bullpen. It was mm-hmm. another turnstile effort, but they were lights out, right? The bullpen goes six and a third, three hits, two runs, if my math is correct. Yep. And Moose, obviously, you were, there, you were there for that one, right? You were there for last night, yes. Oh, yeah. What did you, th- what did you think of the pin? Um, let's touch specifically. We saw a lot of guys, but I missed it, and so did Coog. Javen Coleman and his outing, he goes two and a third, Three walks, six Ks, and then Thatcher Hurd at the end. Let's talk first mm. about Coleman, though, and what you saw from Coleman. So, uh, easily the best outing he's had since he's come back. I know it's only number three. Uh, fastball was up to 96 at one point, really sat Ooh. pretty comfortably 93 to 95 in the zone. But the difference was he finally had a slider, and it was filthy. I mean, it was wipeout. Uh, you mentioned the three walks. One of them was intentional. So, I mean, I'll give okay. him two. Um, the six punch outs he had. So the bullpen in that six and a third had eight strikeouts. He had six of them. He was dominant, pounded the zone. The slider was the difference though. I mean, 
it had been a lot of fastball from him in those first two outings. He finally had complete control. I mean, he he just – the confidence he had in that breaking ball last night in his – his first inning, he struck out the side in order all looking. I mean, he just had him totally off balance. It it looked like it looked like everything you wanted it to when everyone had kept saying, man, they get Javon Coleman back. Watch out. They get Javon Coleman back. Well, last night they got Javon Coleman back. And if he's going to look like that, watch out. Yeah, it's it's nice to see him extend. And um, I was I was I put a random thought out there. <laughs> I was just thinking about some things in this broadcast, and I said I didn't get into arguments with people on Twitter. I just had some uh, lively discussions, and one of my friends, a friend of mine, just disagreed with me. But I think if you extend him out to five innings, and I don't want to get off topic here, but to me, I start him game one in the regional. That's getting way ahead of ourselves, and that's a that's a talk for another time. But uh, Heard, real quick, Moose, before I move to Coogan. And I want to hear Coog talk on Heard a little bit and what he's seen from uh, Thatcher Heard this year. But what did you think about Heard coming in that closing role before? He looked better, right? He looked uh, he looked good. You know, his velocities. Yeah, go ahead. Five up, five down. I mean, that's what you want, right? I, I Yeah. I thought he looked pretty good Tuesday night as well against Nichols. And, you know, when I recapped that game, I said, okay, can he now build on it? And he did. I, he looked confident like that. That was the biggest difference for me. He looked confident. He didn't look hesitant. He was, he took control of the game and that's, if you're going to come in in that role, you absolutely have to do that. He did. He pounded the zone. I don't think he walked any. No, of course he had five up, five down. So he didn't walk anybody. Like he, he was, I mean, the velocity, like you said, was good. It was his, you know, 93 to 96 fastball was good. The cutter that they have him with the development of that pitch has been great. He, um, it was a it was a hell of a step in the right direction. I'll say with that to Herd. Coog on Herd, I think what you mentioned about Floyd sometimes and his mental mindset. I really, I personally know this is just me projecting, right? What I see from the kid through the TV. And he's probably never thrown like this in his life, right? He dealt last year at UCLA. You got to imagine, obviously, he was a stud in high school, right? He was a big time pitcher. He's probably never had this uh, much frustration or this. He's probably questioned himself at times this year, but. What have you seen from her in terms of his stuff? And then, you know, they don't have a true closer, but I mean, what do you think the next couple of weeks look like for her? Maybe if you could put your hat on, you know, your coaching hat on. He, I know it's a tough one. I know. Yeah, <laughs> no, so, so the reason, the reason why I hesitate on that is just because early in the season, you heard how much Jay said that without Thatcher Hurd as our number two starter or a starter, we can't get as high as we want. So I, I don't know where that where that lands eventually. But I hear what you're saying. And I thought, and, and Musa and I talked about this on his podcast, and then Charlie Hanegriff had me on his show uh, about a week ago, and we talked about Thatcher Heard, and it looks like his frame of mind is a little bit different. Like where he he gets a little upset from time to time, and and he pitches around the plate and not, you know, not aggressive to the play. I thought last night, because I ended up getting back from the wedding and seeing her the entire time, I thought he was aggressive to the play. Like, his body language looked like a completely different person last night. I mean, he he was quick twitch. Like, his motion looked better. His arm speed looked aggressive. He was throwing and missing <clears throat> down the middle. And they weren't touching him, you know? And so, he's got to realize he's got that kind of stuff, and he can throw like that. And then I think you've got something in the way of a closer potentially, right? If you can't close, if you can't throw strikes, right? You can Not nibble that. and you can start and mm-hmm. try to survive, but if you can't throw strikes, you can't close. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. You brought brought that up. I, I didn't really think of it as a, from the standpoint of him being in a closer role last night. I thought it was it was out of necessity. Um, but he did a great job, you know, and, and look, if, if he can fill that role, why not let him do it? Right. I mean, he's got, he's got a plus stuff, whether it's the fastball, the, you know, the sinker and the breaking stuff, he, he can, he can do that. Yeah, no doubt. And no, I totally agree. I thought sometimes it feels like he pulls off a little bit and his arm, you know, leaves everything up. But when he's driving through the zone and it looked like he was finishing down, he got away mm. with, it just kind of been a victim, it seems like, of some hanging, breaking stuff at times, and that's just kind of got him in a, in a little bit of fun. I just think he needs, Coogan, you can appreciate this. He just needs, like, a double play, a line drive at him, 
you know, somebody to miss a pitch down the middle to where he has a three up, three down, and he puts like two or three of those together, and then he's like, "Oh right. yeah, I am really, really good." So right. I can. No, no, no I, can I agree, this. and 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 I think you made a good point. Sometimes he does finish up high, right? And I think what we saw was he was aggressive and reaching and finishing through the plate last night, which which looked really good to me. Yeah, no doubt. I, I totally agree. All right, Moose. So uh, just to recap some of the hitters, look, White hits a massive a three-run home run in the third to kind of get uh, LSU back in it. Travinsky adds another two-strike. This guy, massive home run against um, – there it is right there as we pop it up on the screen – against Alton Davis as he takes 0-2-95 out the yard. Jones adds a home run in the eighth. Um, so let's talk about that catching position real quick. And just for the people at home, I did the I did the math. So LSU in that game in game two, they were down two nothing, came back. They were down six to one, they were down two nothing, then they were down six to one, then they were down seven to four. They come all the way back and they score eight runs total in the sixth, seventh, and eighth. So once again, that grit and determination. But Moose, Travinsky, two weeks in a row, and Coop touched on Malaza and what you're getting from him. Obviously, Brady Neal's hurt right now. But what do you make of these guys just stepping in? They're vets. They've been there. But uh, this, how they solidified that catching spot the last couple of weeks when they've been called upon. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you mentioned it. They're veteran guys. I mean, and both of them are Louisiana guys, too. And, I mean, that – you know, I mean, y'all can speak to that. That matters in this program. You need program guys yeah. like that, that, you know what, man, this freshman, this this 17-year-old freshman comes in from Florida and takes our spot just immediately – day one they don't get down about it they keep their head down they keep working for the letters across the front of the jersey not on the back of the jersey and their hard work's paying off you you think back to where lsu was at a catcher position after michael papierski left you didn't replace him very well right you had hunter fiducia you had saul garza not to disparage those guys they played hard but now you look where you were to where you are where a top 30 prospect in the draft shows up on campus, takes the job, gets hurt, and you have these veteran program guys like Malazzo, like Travinsky that you can go to and you don't miss a beat. You have that type of depth and that type of quality depth to go to. That That's why. Like, I'm not obviously not the catcher position as a whole, but that scenario is why despite bullpen problems, despite starters not going deep, despite – any any issue you want to name with this team, that's why they're thirty five and eight and a half game out of first place in the SEC and number one in the country. That like and, that and scenario way, is why. And by the way, you've got one starting at first base. Exactly. That's true. And, and one in right <laughs> field. And right down. field. Right field. He's in right field. Yeah, it's a it's a gluttony of catchers. And Coog, the catchers go four for nine. I mean, we wouldn't have said this last year, right? Well, McManus, he hit the ball pretty well. Four for nine on the weekend with a bomb and six RBIs. I mean, I have had, I've had people ask me this, and I'll ask you this so everybody else can hear your opinion. When you were at LSU with me, did it matter who you threw to? Did you care who was behind the plate? Did uh, We've seen Travinsky the last two weeks catch Floyd right against Ole Miss, and now I don't know if he's his personal catcher. That's my working theory. And I don't know if that's right or not, but uh, how did you feel, you know, if you had a different guy catch you? Obviously, we had Lanier in 96. In 97, we had Clint Earnhardt and Conan Horton, and then Cressy came into the mix. You know, did it matter to you who was back there? You know, I think it did in the fall, like, but as you get comfortable with them, I mean, you're throwing bullpen days, different guys. I mean, it's like who's got class and who's, you know, who's hurt. Um, you know, so you, you, you take who you got, right? Um and and the way you structure a team and and a, a, a position coach because now it's gotten really specific with catchers, right? There is a guy who's like singled out to coach the catchers. They're all going to do a lot of similar things, um, and so I think that there's less of it. I think in, in the big leagues you see a lot more of that. It's just the comfort level, and you know I think Maddox had a guy, and Avery had his guy, and Smoltz had his guy, and. That's kind of where it got in vogue that you'd pick your personal catcher. But no, I really don't think that it matters too much. I mean, if a guy's a a viable candidate to get in the in the lineup, he's gonna be good enough to catch whoever's out there. And so I I don't I, I don't fall into that where, 
hey, I got to have my own specific guy. I think if, if if the coach thinks he's good enough to be in the lineup that day, heck, look, even if he's not the greatest catcher, but he's in the lineup because he got the potential to hit two bombs and erase the two bombs that I just gave up, I'm going to take him in the lineup. <laughs> yeah, so no doubt. Two bombs with two, <laughs> yeah, two bombs with two strikes right there. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, Matt has a comment right here on the screen. So he says, there's definitely some guys you don't want at all. I think I've been asked this before, and, and I don't know if Coop feels the same way, but I think when I was pitching, we were told to bounce breaking balls in certain times. And as long as I knew, and I knew, trust me, that they wouldn't be back there if they couldn't, as long as I knew those guys were going to block that bounce, that breaking ball that I could throw with the men on second and third, a guy on third with a one-two count, if I knew they were going to block it, then I was fine with it. I didn't care about the rest. And and you've seen I that with these guys. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. And – uh I mean, just just the mindset of Travinsky, you know, to hit two home runs with two strikes, two massive home runs is just mm-hmm. been huge. But getting a little long on time here, let's move on to game one. Uh, we're working backwards here as uh, you can't sweep if you don't win the first one. But LSU wins the first one, eight to six. They really dominated this game until the ninth, and it kind of got a little hairy for all the LSU fans out there. But Paul Skeens was Paul Skeens once again. And Coog, I'm going to start with you on this one, then I'm going to bring it to Musso. Skeens, six innings pitched, five hits, one run, one earned. No walks, nine Ks for really the best pitcher in the country. But he throws 109 pitches and six innings pitched. And we talked about this before we came on the broadcast. And look, I get it. I'm probably nitpicking. But I do have a little bit of concern. Coog, are you concerned with uh, – he throws a lot of pitches. He strikes out a ton of guys. Are you worried about that moving forward to where if it's a regional or a super regional situation or hopefully they get to Omaha – and you really want him to get seven and a third, seven and two thirds, but because he's thrown 115 pitches and he struck out 12, he just can't get past the six. Is that a concern for you moving forward, Skeens? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's it's a it's a head scratcher, right? And concern maybe sounds strong because you you might see um, him get stretched out a little bit more going into into the postseason, right? The weather warms up and. He's got some innings under his belt, and and he can you know he can throw fifteen more pitches in in, in appearance. Uh, but yeah, so six innings, and now because you look at it, and especially when you get to the the standpoint of a super regional, and if you look at it like a a weekend that we had this weekend where we had eight different pitchers on Saturday and however many we had today, that's a that's that's taxing for your bullpen. So if you can mm-hmm. if you can have an Aaron Nola type outing, right, where he gets you through eight, and you don't have to have a guy come in and and just get three outs and save you for the next two games, should you have to play all three, that makes you breathe a lot easier, right? And so, no, is Skeens like not good anymore? Of course not. That's not what we're trying to say here. But right, uh, it, it does give you a little bit of look at, at the inside of what Jay is looking at and how he crafts the back end of the bullpen on a Friday or on a game one of a, a regional or super regional to get himself through the entire weekend in a positive manner where you're not completely putting guys two to three times out there for an entire weekend. So. Yeah, I mean, if if you could get it, if you could get a few more, a few uh, fly ball outs or ground ball outs early in counts, um, yeah. and get him to go eight innings with ten strikeouts or seven innings with eleven strikeouts, yeah, that's sure, that's better than six with nine strikeouts. We are nitpicking here, but yeah, it's something that you look at, Chris. I mean, obviously, we we look at the analytics and and things that we we look at in the past, and that's something you keep an eye towards. Yeah. And I think they put up a graphic. I wish they would do this more, but he threw 80% fastballs moose. And you've really seen like the Paul Skeens. I call it the Paul Skeens evolution, right? To where against Kentucky, he was heavy sliders. Against Ole Miss, he was crushing them with two seamers and really busting those lefties, two seamers in. And once again, he's heavy fastballs. But to piggyback off what Coog was saying, does that high pitch count uh, and the ability to maybe to extend – like, we all want Skeens to throw nine. Who doesn't, right? But does that worry you a little bit? I mean, we would, in a perfect world, of course, we want him to go nine. But does that does that same question to you, does that worry you a little bit moving forward? Big picture now, big picture. It worries me more in, earlier in the game than it does later. Um, I'd like to see him keep the pitch count lower in the first and second inning and then get deeper. Because against Ole Miss, you can tell by the – 
second inning, you were getting five, maybe six, and they had to really grind him to get six. He threw 117 pitches against Ole Miss. Same thing. He was almost at 60 pitches after three innings on Friday night. You knew the cap is six. So I, I think if you if you get a little sharper earlier in the game, then maybe you maybe you move maybe you obviously see him extend a little further. I, you mentioned the eighty percent fastball thing, and that's interesting because I, I saw some people say uh, after maybe he didn't have his best stuff. I thought he had better stuff Friday than he did against Ole Miss, and then he did against Kentucky. Like I, I thought, I thought those outings were actually yeah, he didn't have his best stuff. I thought he looked really, really good uh, against Alabama, against a much better lineup than Ole Miss and Kentucky, for what it's worth. Um, I think Bama did a great job running his pitch count up. I think they fouled off a lot of pitches. They didn't chase at all all weekend. I think that really hurt him this week. But it has been, I mean, go back and look at all of the starts. I think he's thrown seven innings one time. Every other outing has been six innings. So, yeah, I'd like yeah. to see him extend a little bit more. But I think the, the first three innings are really the key to that. No doubt. I think you make a great point. And it really almost kind of circles back to what we've talked about earlier. And, Coog, you've harped on this to where it really seems like Skeens will go 0-2 and then it's 1-2 then it's 2-2, two, two, mm-hmm. then it's a foul ball, and then it's a foul ball. And it's almost like his slider is so nasty. I never had this problem, but he has trouble, like, getting it <laughs> getting it in the zone. And then all of a sudden it's 2-2, two, two, and he can get it in the zone. But it's like it's it's 0-2, and he tries to throw it, like, wait, and ends up in the other batter's box to where it would just seem like – to y'all's point, y'all both made it, uh, saying the same thing. If he could get earlier outs or earlier strikeouts, right, instead of getting a 3-2 strikeout, get a 1-2 strikeout. Yeah then that saves you 10, 12 pitches down the road. And that could get you another, almost save you another inning if yeah, you think about it. That's kind of like the the little thing. If, you know, when he's got that short uh, cutter slider, when he's sw- getting the swings and misses, usually mm-hmm. at, on a 3-2 count, if he throws that oo and gets a cap ball, you know, right at the second baseman, that could say, you know, could save you six, eight pitches an inning, you know? Yeah, there's no doubt. But Moose, I'll stick with you on this. Herring comes in <clears throat> after Skeens. A little bit of a rough one for Griffin Herring, but I do like the fact that they've been following uh, Skeens after mm-hmm. Herring. I, I, I like that dynamic with the righty, lefty, and Herring. Look, his, his stuff is no slouch. Two and two-thirds, six hits, five runs, five earned, two walks, five Ks, 72 pitches. I think the goal, he was right there, right? In the ninth, he goes strikeout, walk, walk, strikeout. And he's one pitch away, as we always like to say, and he's right there. And I think the inning got away from him. And my theory is I wasn't there <clears throat> that uh, Collins wasn't hot yet. And then when it got away, you know, he had a chance to face a lefty and he couldn't get Williamson out. And all of a sudden, uh, money sits down, Collins gets up. I think they, it got away because they didn't have the right guys in place. And he's still one pitch away. Then a lefty came up and he, tr- he tried to get him out, but he couldn't. You know, what would you make about Herring? He seems to be up and down. I think that's probably just some freshman things. But what have you made about Herring uh, lately and just um, maybe his outing on Friday and then him following schemes, you know? I, I mean, I thought eventually in that ninth inning he flat ran out of gas. Um, mm-hmm. I, I 72 think pitches, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's by far the most he's thrown. And he just I, – I think it started to happen a little bit before that. Because like you said, I mean, he'd get to one strike away. He just couldn't be as fine as he needed to be to make that pitch – to, to get the last out. Uh, missed a lot of – missed arm side a lot high late in that inning as well. I just – I don't know. I, I honestly think he just ran out of gas. Maybe Collins wasn't hot hot enough at that point. Um, just, I mean, I don't – I don't – I'm not expecting that to happen again, right? I just – I don't – he's been so consistent, so good as a freshman. His future is so bright. I'm willing to be like, okay, that one got away from him. It shouldn't have been as close as it was, but – you had dominated the rest of the game and you were in a position to have a little bit of leeway. I know that's not a great mindset. That's not where you want to be, but that's the position you were in and thank your lucky stars you were. I just think the kind of what you said, I mean, I, I just think the inning got away from him. It was a combination of maybe potentially them not being hot in the bullpen, not having their, their horses ready to go in the needed to, and then I think he just flat ran out of gas towards the end. He was in uncharted territory. Yeah, no doubt. Coog, anything on um... – I think you said you weren't able to see Herring's outing, but just thoughts on him and then the ability to follow Skeens right there. And you've seen him, like he closed down against Tennessee, and he's been really good. He just 
Kentucky wasn't great. I was there for that one. It just wasn't great. And um, I think he's the opposite of the mindset to where he gets – he's competitive now. I mean, he's been there and done right. that in, in Texas at the highest levels of baseball in Texas. But he almost gets so mad at himself for throwing a ball, right, to where you're like, dude, you're good. Just relax. And your, your right. stuff's plenty good enough. My, my guess is that with, with that lead, they had the ability to stretch him out, right? And, yeah. and like Moose said, like he emptied the tank. And I think that might have been by design a little bit. Well, I agree with you about the the up and down thing with money than the Collins, and they there was a little switch on who was hot and who wasn't, and when they switched it. Um, but the fact that they let him go seventy three, that kind of gives you maybe a you know peek through a window of what they're mm-hmm. thinking on who might be that long guy, or let's say Skeens goes out or Floyd goes out and doesn't have a great outing. And has to get yanked early, and you need a guy to 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 go five to six innings. And you know, at seventy-two pitches, there's not a whole lot of other people that have done that except for the starters. So keep that in your back pocket. As Griffin Herring, you know, could be that guy that they look to in a situation like that. No doubt. And I think uh, I think you make some really good points. But in terms of hitters, you know, White hits a home run, Cruz hits a home run really not a lot to say, you know, they kind of come back, they extend the game with a couple of back-to-back walks, but we're going to start to wrap up here on the 60 feet, six inches live stream as we've got Matthew Musso and Patrick Coogan joining me get ready to let these guys get out of here. We've got a couple of comments though. Let's see if we can bring those up right now. Um, all right. Brody says, what are y'all's thoughts on starting a lefty on the weekends, Herring or Coleman once he's extended? Coog, you just maybe alluded to that. Let's, I mentioned it in the regionals. I wouldn't be surprised if you see that. But do you think they make any change, Coog? And then I'll flip it to Musso uh, before SEC plays over with with uh, Brody's question. I don't think so. Um, but then, then you always flip it for the regionals, right? There, you, you don't want to you don't want to spend a Skeens guy against a number four seed, right? Right. So then you've got to then you've got to look to candidates of who that could be. Uh, and I think Griffin Heron would be a great one. Javen Coleman would be a great one, right? And and probably uh, Coleman over Herring because of the way you've groomed him to work on the back end of that that bullpen behind Skeens. And so I would say Javen Coleman was probably the likely candidate to to start that opening game of a of a regional. Moose, what do you have on Brody's question right there? Yeah, no, I mean I don't think you see it in um in the regular season. Uh, I- Personally, I love having a left-handed pitcher in the starting rotation. I think that I think you should if you if you have that luxury. Um, the one thing you have to remember, though, is what Jay has said. One of their best pitchers is always going to be in the bullpen. So pick your poison on one of them. One of them sure can start, but the other has to stay in the pen. And especially when you look at LSU's pen, where it's been very up and down. It's been a roller coaster. At times it's been great. That was Saturday, and at times it's been. Not so great. That was today. So there's always going to be one of those guys in the pen. Um, and, and I mean, again, you know, whoever they, whoever spot they take in the rotation, potentially, can you count on that person out of the bullpen? That's important to factor into it too. But yes, no lefty in the rotation, all for it. Yep, no doubt. Let's see if we can get another one up here. Uh, how many home runs does LSU have? Uh, I think they're mm, like a 74, 80. maybe. That was coming uh, in. They're well, they okay. got to be over 80 by now. Yeah, but uh, ranked top 10 in the nation. We had a last year's story. Um, I don't know. Right off the top of my head, Michael, I forgot. I got a lot of stats. I forget. To, I forgot to get the final stats from today. It may not have updated them yet, but uh, I predicted I them Jack, to hit about I think one. Jack Caglione from Florida has uh, has hit more home runs than ever. <laughs> <laughs> that guy hits like two home runs a game. He's got 25 I, already. He's I know, what do they have? Third and player of the year. Um, yeah. They have four guys in double digits, right? Four guys, and, and Beloso's knocking on the door. Beloso's knocking on the door. They have Cruz, White, Dugas, they're, they're and They're over 80. They're over 80 yeah, right now. They hit, a, they hit 114 last year, so yes, they're they're ahead of base. They are well ahead of that base. There you go. There you go, Michael. So, uh, Musso, Musso coming through. Who finishes with the top and home runs on the team? Matt, I have Tommy White. Who y'all got? what you got? I'll go Tommy White. Maybe. I'll be different and say Jared Jones. There we go. Big Bear. The Big Bear. He's one, he's Matt, one I got your, Matt, I got your shirt on right now. Matt is part of the Spitting Seeds account, so I got the Spitting Seeds shirt on right now. Anything else over there? 
You know, Craig Schilling, the master of the GIF. <laughs> Go. Uh, the tighter strike zone. I think guys are missing at least five strikes in inning. All right, this has been – I've noticed this. Coog, mm -hmm. we'll go to you, then we'll go to Musso. Musso, I know you're at the games a ton, so you might not always be able to tell. Coog, I'm not saying it needs to be 1990 strike zone. We loved it, but it was a bit ridiculous. And I don't think it has to be a Major League Baseball, but it seems like it's like nothing – like the black, it seems like doesn't even count. And it feels like the belt is not even a strike anymore, which irks me to death. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Do you think the zone has gotten significantly smaller or it's been trending that way? Um, you know, I still feel like, well, I think east to west, it's it's much tighter, right? The black doesn't play a whole lot. I think north to south, there, there's been some expansion there, especially, especially on the north end of the equator. I mean, mm -hmm. we see some hanging sliders that, you know, cross at the letters and they, they're routinely ringing those up. Uh, not not a whole lot at the the back end of account, but early in the count, they're calling those. Um, that's that's just kind of the feel I get. I get. I, I, to me, those look like hanging pitches to me. That uh, I don't I don't want to throw those. But um, yeah, I think the the northern equator gets a lot more uh, a lot more calls these days than than in past. Moose, what's your take on the strike zone this year? I think it's much more akin to Major League Baseball, and I don't like it. Uh, this isn't Major League Baseball. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sorry. It's just it's not. Like, th this is not Major League Baseball. And I that and what Cooper's saying, especially up in the zone. Everyone pitches up in the zone now. Velo, spin rate, RP, all that stuff so prevalent, and especially in Major League Baseball. It, it just – you sit down, you watch a college game, and then go watch Sunday Night Baseball. Strike zone looks very, very similar, and I – I don't like it. I, I just, I mean, I think, if, I think if you're going to do that, it needs to be very uniform if, if you're going to do that. So I just, I mean, I can understand Major League Baseball probably loves it because it gives them a more accurate read on, on the pitchers that they're scouting to, to draft. But I, I, I'm not, I haven't enjoyed the strike zone this year at all. And I, I think it's made for much more offensive baseball, obviously, too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. No, there's no doubt. So, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with both people on that. All right, last comment before we let these guys get out of here. Matt, uh, how much are we loving the pitch clock now that it seems to be managed like we all wanted? I don't have a problem with the pitch clock. I think once we got used to it, I'm fine with it. It, um, I think Kuga and I both like the pitch quick anyway. When you get in a rhythm, we didn't like to take – you know, Brett Laxton took like, what, a Kuga minute between each pitch. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I, I was watching a, I was watching the game earlier today. I want to say it was Florida, Missouri, if that was a game. Um, yeah, that, they played. They played. And the the Missouri guy uh, threw a pitch. He threw the pitch with 16 seconds. He had first and second with two outs. He threw a pitch, but tri his spock, spikes locked up, so he didn't throw the pitch. They called a pitch delay, and they go back and look at it. There was 14 seconds left on the uh, on the clock, and he was complaining that he still had 14 seconds to get back on the rubber <laughs> and throw the pitch. <laughs> but anyway, I've got no problem with. It. I mean, look, it's it's made the game a better product, especially for TV. I mean, uh, y'all probably know the 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 stats better than I do, but viewership is way up. ESPN Plus. The app is way up. SEC Network's way up. So, hey, if that's working, I'm I'm all for it. Moose, what you got on the pitch clock? It shaved time off the games. I mean, if that's what they wanted to do, it's uh, it's working. Me, I'll uh, I'll go sit out there watching play for four hours. I'll watch him play for two and a half. It, I, I'm gonna be out there watching him play. So, just I love baseball. <laughs> nah, I got you. I, I'm personally in favor of it. I think it's been a nice addition, and and I think. Once you get used to it, I haven't really noticed that much. Uh, the time difference is nice, right? So uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think if it would happened while we were playing coup, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Look, if I don't have to hold anybody on any longer than I need to, I'm fine with it. So. <laughs> but um, all right, that's going to do it. I want to thank everybody who tuned in on the live stream. We hit a new record tonight. Hey, we got, I think, what, 77, 78. That's a new Good record job, here. For, hey, that's y'all. That's Coogan and, and Musso joining me here. But um, – Coog, I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you very much, man. Uh, always a pleasure spitting some knowledge on the podcast. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Musso, you were late, but it came in with some great information that you ran straight <laughs> from the game. So um, 
I'll let you tell everybody where to catch you. I did it, but I want you to do it. So, Moose, thank you for your time, and tell everybody where they can catch your stuff. Yeah, Moose at the Box. Anywhere uh, you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, it's it's there. Just go, search it. Drop a link every day, Monday through Friday, on uh, on my Twitter. You see the handle right there. Uh, get subscribed. We'll be be live. Tomorrow, because we go through all three games all over again and talk about yet another sweep for the Tigers. They've won seven in a row, seven SEC games in a row. Uh, boys are boys are hot a little bit right now. We'll take that with some um, potentially uh, pitching staffs right for the taking coming up. So um, yeah. I can't thank these two guys enough, friends of mine, and I appreciate their time here on a Sunday evening. Got to thank my guy Jackson, my son, helping me out on the backside of things. But look, until next time, everybody, y'all stay safe, and as always, go Tigers.